Ghouls. Happy Hump Day and welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast, brought to you by your best ghoul friends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GhoulFriendPod on Twitter and GhoulFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on all podcasting platforms where we release new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to follow me on my personal socials, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. And I'm at Hi It's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Now let's get spooky. Hello, gorgeous, gorgeous girls, and welcome back to another episode of Girlfriends. I'm Lindsay, and today I'm joined by a returning guest, Jan. Jan, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to be back. Thanks for welcoming me. No worries. Um, and today we are going into the world of Frightful Feasts, uh, looking at food-based horror. Uh, Jan, do you want to tell our lovely listeners what film you brought to the spooky sleepover today? Yeah, so I chose A Banquet, um, which is, I don't even know how to talk about it. Very dark, <laughs> psychological, um, but yeah, I I think it's definitely not the first thing you would think of, I think, for like food horror, um, but I kind of had seen it in recent months, so um, happy to explore it on here. When you picked like food food based horror, I was a bit worried because I don't know if it's like an overactive imagination or an overactive gag reflex, but sometimes food things on screen like literally make me dry heave. Um, I won't say what film it's from, but there's like a very recent film in which an eyeball is passed around people's mouths and it gets kind of caught in someone's throat. And I was sitting in the cinema like like dry even because I could feel it in my throat I was a bit worried about what you were going to come up with but I really like the choice that you made I'm gonna I have that image in my head I'm gonna have to ask you later because I'm like I feel like I've seen this but I can't remember what it is offhand (laughs) yeah I mean it's funny because there's there's definitely I also have kind of like an aversion to like certain things with mouths and chewing and there's plenty of stuff in this movie that's just kind of like ugh, like it just mm. gets on skin um but yeah so happy to throw in a wild card <laughs> <laughs> um but before we get into a banquet um jan could you please tell us tell our lovely listeners more about how you got into horror and what you get up to in your little corner of the internet um yeah so I got into horror pretty early um I think that just a combination of um being a really anxious kid and sort of um I don't know I always was drawn to like dark darker reading materials but it wasn't until I think I saw Scream on TV and was just delighted by the sensation um and my dad is uh 
not as big of a horror fan as me, but he had a huge appreciation. So um, as soon as I told him I liked Scream, he started just sort of educating me. Um, he would start bringing me like literally assigning me Stephen King films to watch, like while I was still in elementary school. Um, you know, I was one of those kids that it seemed like all the R-rated stuff that everyone else's parents didn't approve of. Um, and yeah, I just, I love consuming all forms of horror. I find it um, very comforting and exciting <laughs> at the same time. Um, and then in my day-to-day, -day, I'm a playwright and a screenwriter. Um, so I definitely dabble in horror in my own work. Um, my own specialties tends to be uh, body horror, which is probably why I was drawn to this topic. And um, also love queer horror. I have a lot of other um, subgenres that I I like. But um, yeah, and then I'm always just reading, watching, listening to like any spooky thing I possibly can. Relatable. Um, listening to uh, listening and watching to all the spooky things. Yeah, fiction. <laughs> um, so let's dive into a banquet then. Um, do you remember the first time you watched the film and kind of feelings and stuff that it brought up? Because I definitely have thoughts. I feel like it looks at parental child relationships in a really interesting way and kind of yeah it explores it in a really like unique way that I I don't think I would have thought to explore it in that way yeah um I'd heard about this movie a few months before it came out um I'm, I mean I'm on bloody disgusting like every other day looking at what's <laughs> out um and what drew my attention um, was that it sounded like there was, um, it was a horror that um, there was an eating disorder at the center of it. Um, and I have had experience with um, eating disorder and body stuff. And um, whereas like, I think a lot of people will just find that triggering if they relate to it. Like I tend to be more drawn in um usually if people say to me like oh I think you should stay away from that you might find it like triggering or close to home and I'm just like let me at it like I, I want to <laughs> watch it um and yeah I it's funny like I've, I've now for the for the podcast um I've seen it three times and it's such a it's such a tangle of knots to unravel, like, like watching it a second time also, and just trying to like, uh, sort of see like where, where things start to kind of go wrong and why, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I love just like the sort of real life horrors, um, with some supernatural elements woven in, um, yeah, like you said, I think it probably reflects a lot of people's family lives and very complicated relationships um, with their parents and siblings. Yeah, definitely. I just, yeah, I'll get into it more as we go through the plot. Um, so the IMDb plot for A Banquet is as follows. 
A widowed mother is radically tested when her teenage daughter insists a supernatural experience has left her body in service to a higher power. This came out in 2021, stars Sienna Guillory, Jessica Alexander and Ruby Stokes. It was directed by Ruth Paxton and this is her first uh, feature-length film. She's done a lot of shorts beforehand and it was written by Justin Bull. So if the opening scenes in this are very interesting um, with Holly, the mum, looking after the sick dad and I feel like these opening scenes reveal a lot about Holly without saying, like, with, with very little dialogue from her, the way she's obsessively cleaning his bed. Um, you know, I having watched it I can imagine that she would have insisted on him being at home rather than being in a hospital um just the, like the way that she is um what what do you think of these opening scenes with Holly and her sick husband yeah oh wow I hadn't even that hadn't occurred to me that she might have insisted on him staying at home um but that makes a lot of sense because I think we see how controlling she is from the mm. very and um it just looks like I mean she's got the whole setup at home and it just seems like she is completely devoted uh to caring for him I I don't know if he's like I imagine he might be terminal um like I don't know if it's like he is at home dying at home but um yeah just right from the beginning it's like just when we meet this character and she is looking after her spouse who is dying so like she has that um already and just trying to get him to eat and that's the first time i think we see her feeding someone too um like she's constantly trying feeding or trying to feed people throughout the movie and all he can consume is like a liquid diet um and it's very visceral um because it's also like red <laughs> um so yeah it's pretty striking it's the way as well when she's like making this smoothie and I can imagine like a lot of people who have caring responsibilities sometimes just have that little side to themselves and are, are like I'm I'm not feeling this today I'm over this like and she does that sigh and then the smoothie turns red and then she turns around and he's drank bleach in a bid to end his own life and then it's the instant guilt that washes over her and this is all just like looks it's, there's no dialogue there's little to no dialogue in this scene um and the immediate guilt she probably felt for have for just being a bit aggrieved for a moment for caring because it is a lot caring for somebody and then he dies and her probably feeling like that might be her fault mm -hmm. um I think the actress that plays Holly like does this all really well and then unfortunately Betsy the oldest daughter walks in on the aftermath of this yeah <sighs> <laughs> yeah there's a there's a lot in this film I feel like um and then like moving on to the next scene I like one of the high points of the film I feel like is the cinematography and 
we immediately go into these like really uncomfortably close shots of Izzy's mouth at the dentist and we have the whole thing at the dentist they come home and I feel like it's portrayed to us very quickly as well that Betsy's the favorite and mm-hmm. the out of the daughters um you know Izzy Izzy's kind of like in her own little world and I don't think Holly particularly likes that whereas Betsy's like that little bit more compliant with um what her mum wants to do and yeah like what do you think about the relationship between the mother and the daughters I think that you can see throughout that yes I agree that um Betsy is sort of favored and you see her making kind of these snide remarks um at the younger daughter and uh it just seems to me like blatantly like older child younger child kind of kind of thing going on like the one thing that it also shows you from the beginning I think and I think maybe it's just because um Isabel is younger and maybe hasn't gotten to that point in her development where she has an awareness of like oh what do like I have to grow up at some point and like make decisions like she just seems a little bit freer and in her own world um and uh and ho- not holly um the older sister is at this point where like she's about to graduate and you just see um the differences in their behavior um yeah it's very interesting to watch i'm always fascinated about things with sisters um i i have a brother but um yeah because i imagine they're also like very close in age and they have this overbearing mother um so uh, yeah um so yeah like betsy's at a kind of point in her life like she's getting ready to leave school we see in the next scene that she's meeting with the guidance counselor the guidance counselor is very sympathetic to what's been going on trying to try to give her a bit of advice about maybe like what kind of things she would want to do at uni but we can kind of see here that her mum's opinion is very important to her um, and she really doesn't want to do anything without her mum's kind of sign off so to speak and one of like the interesting aspects of this film to me is that kind of relationship where or the transition rather before both Betsy and Holly and them as a pair of Betsy becoming an adult and making her own decisions now and how that's actually really difficult for Holly to deal with because there's a lot of things in this obviously on the surface you would think actually Betsy no that's not a good idea but the things that she does doesn't actually harm her she's going into it with a full awareness of what she's doing and what the possible outcome could be and Holly pushes back every single time even though Betsy says no mum this is what's going to happen if I do this and it's fine and I think that's really interesting especially with the eldest I know for my mum anyway because I'm the oldest every single new thing I did 
she was like in floods of tears like really couldn't deal with it but then when it came for my sister and brother it was fine because <laughs> I was the guinea pig I'd done it and it'd been okay and I like yeah I just I like that that kind of relationships being portrayed on screen because I don't I've, I've not really seen it before yeah I um one of the parts of of this movie and like to me it kind of spoke of um like I don't think it's a coincidence that this is right before um the event that seems to trigger um what Betsy the choices she starts making for her own body but it just it's so the um when the guidance counselor says like what do you think you want to do and she says like I she doesn't really know like I I wanted I think it was like you wanted to do science or math and she says I don't know anymore and then she has that list and it's like um what I think I might be interested in or something and it's just blank and just struck me kind of like that terror of like you you like you can't crawl back inside the womb like you're not quite ready yet and um and she knows like she has to make up her mind and and I think actually that's what she does like she does make a choice <laughs> um and we see that like in the next uh parts of the movie but I just like that really hit me personally just sort of being like I I am not ready I don't think I am equipped enough to like go out into the world I don't even know like what I want for dinner type of <laughs> type of thing um and uh yeah it's so funny that time in your life I was actually hanging out with a couple of teachers yesterday and we were talking about this they teach high school and like how there's you know your exams and like what subjects that you pick at school I don't know what it's like in the US but in the UK you have to pick what subjects you want to do and then you do exams on them um and then going to uni and doing your uni exams and your dissertation and it, it feels like life or death at the time and you know you have to make all these like really big life decisions when you're just a teenager and like I'm 31 and I'm just like I don't know who trusted me with adulthood like <laughs> I can't make my own decisions. It's like I need help. <laughs> um, I mean, the way I was in high school, I didn't. I didn't understand the impact of any of these choices. Yeah. Either. Like, I wasn't thinking of like longevity or like finances or anything. I was just sort of like, well, I like this, so let's try for this. And the guidance counselor would. I. I feel like they almost end up like suggesting for you and it's it's like sure like you, <laughs> you think that school is a reach you think I should stick like okay I don't really and it's um you know we all like make our way but like I think about seniors in high school now and I know it's different for everyone but I was like I was a child hmm. so yeah um, just yeah I related a lot to like even sort of like what do you want to be when you grow up and it's like uh I don't know um and uh is that way I still find myself asking that question what do I want to be when I grow up but it's like <laughs> I am a grown-up like <laughs> it's funny because um 
you know, like I, I have friends my age that have children and people younger that have children. And like, I'm, I've, I, I don't have any kids. And sometimes I'm asked if I have any, or if I'm planning to, and like my first thought is like, no, I'm too young. Or <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not mature enough. Yeah. Um, and I, I totally feel sort of like an adult child um, constantly, <laughs> just, you know, like I get by, um, but it, it's wild to me. Definitely. So after kind of like looking or trying to fill in the list, what am I interested in to try and make some kind of decision? Uh, Betsy goes off to a party. And again, we get these really like uncomfortably close shots of like people kissing and like drinking and things like that. Um, Betsy's boyfriend is there uh, and they get her to like snort powdered alcohol, which I didn't even know was a thing. Uh, as some little prank yeah like I could feel it it would just didn't feel very nice and then she's like fuck this I'm going out for a cigarette and this is when the kind of inciting incident happens um she's staring up at like the blood moon um just absolutely transfixed by it walking towards the forest um and then she just kind of like disappears like we see it from Dom's point of view she's there and then she's not, and it's a bit strange. And then all of a sudden, she's kind of walking back from the woods and she's like tripping over. Like you would just think she's drunk or like on something. Uh, and then Dom phones her mum to come and get her. Um, so this is like where it all happens. Like, what what do you think of these scenes? Yeah. Um I think it's interesting because it's like it's even as she's making that list that suddenly she stops what she's doing she puts on this really like vivid red shade of lipstick um that I love because it's it's just so striking against her face and like especially like she has these like really like bluish greenish eyes I just love the visual of that um but um yeah I I think she just she excuses herself from the party because um she just can't with the the conversation and the company and um yeah when when she comes back um you know it's very easy to see why people would just think like oh she took something um and Yeah, no, it's it's just so um, interesting. I remember like watching it for the first time and like trying to like jump ahead of the movie and be like, is it aliens? Is it like, is it supernatural? Is like, is this a creature? This is going to turn into like creature horror. Like, what is this? Um, and I don't know if it's if she gets sick. Um, I mean, if it's a in reaction to whatever happens in the woods or if she just is like a little too drunk um so we go on to the next morning there's more uncomfortable shots um like uncomfortably close shots of food although the food looks so good um and betsy's like complaining about having like tingly numb skin which is a bit weird but holly just kind of brushes off she's like oh you're probably just having like a little allergic reaction or you're maybe just like a bit hungover 
And then the three of them go to the ice rink. And, you know, up till now, there's been a lot of focus on Betsy and what she's doing. But Izzy seems like a really impressive uh, figure skater. And I'm like, why is there not more attention on that? I'm actually terrified of like being on ice so find people who can like dance on it very impressive um (laughs) and then like holly's speaking to like a friend and they're talking about betsy going to uni and they're kind of talking about like what's the point of it all um and it's interesting because the friend is like misunderstanding it as university but holly is talking about life itself like she's been through some quite traumatic things with like watching her husband commit suicide in front of her and now her eldest daughter leaving which is going to is a big change for her like getting ready for her to go to university and that's going to be a big change for her um and I think there's kind of like whisperings throughout the film about being a little bit worried about money and things like that as well so Holly's not talking about Betsy going to uni or just uni in general. She's talking about life. Um, and then we see Betsy kind of on the other side of the ice rink, like staring up at the sky, like into space. And yeah, like what, what do you think of all this at the ice rink? Yeah. Um, well, I think what you said, like there's this looming financial fear throughout mm-hmm the whole film um and I just felt I felt that like you know like a weight in my chest because like you imagine um the financial strain of caring for the father and now she has two girls who are going to go off to college and like you can tell from like these conversations she has on the phone that it's like they're you know they're they're there's like no more and like as this conversation is going on um like also these skating lessons like everything is it's just like that hard of like everything is costing something and um and it's interesting how it's like right as she's kind of saying what is the point of it all that Betsy she notices Betsy is getting up and kind of in this trance I actually thought she was gonna like I don't think she does. I don't think she walks out onto the ice. I was like, I have the same like, oh, she's gonna fall. <laughs> but um, it's also just interesting um, because um, Izzy just seems like either because like she hasn't gotten to that point where you know all the kind of like adult fears come rolling in, but it seems like she is on this track. She is. She has a she's more free in her body she is ice skating it seems like she might want to do that long term um but she has a trainer like it, I was like oh this seems like pretty <laughs> professional and Betsy is just sort of like moping and um she doesn't know what she wants to do and it's kind of like at that moment um where if you didn't know any better you would just think like it's all kind of like performative like she's seeking attention and like what better way to get attention than just like kind of like go into this trance um and you know it is also while like they're supposed to be watching Izzy who's like really good actually at waiting and then all of a sudden it's like the focus is over here um and 
yeah, I just, um, with Holly, I always sort of felt that she has sort of like this, um, kind of like the walls are, are closing in on her. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think that's like kind of a, a something that she and um, Betsy have in common. Um, so after this, um, Holly decides to take Betsy to the GP and just kind of, and we get a list of symptoms here of like what Betsy's going through. So we've got the tingly numb skin that she talked about before and her lack of appetite and nausea. And at this appointment, she also tells the doctor that she's still menstruating the same and using the toilet the same, which is important because we later find that that's not true. Um, So I'm not sure why she lies at that point, but um, yeah, she's being a bit deceptive about what's really going on with her body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that... um... To me, I I thought that it's sort of like if we if we look at what begins to happen as her like controlling her food, it's like sort of the beginning of the lies um, that come into it and like sort of being forced um, to go to the doctor and just being very like manipulative and deceptive um, about what's really going on or so like they don't worry as much. Yeah, because I guess like this is probably where the kind of eating disorder allegory perhaps comes in as well. Because I mean, you don't, you know, shout from the roofs like I'm not eating. Like <laughs> it's it's a secretive thing. Um, so of course, lying to the doctor will like make sense with that. Um, so in the next scene, um, we get our first introduction to Holly's mum June and. Like, she seems like a nice woman. Like, she's just like, I want to help my daughter. But Holly's very stubborn. And she's just like, I don't I don't want your help. Um, but we'll hear a bit more from her later. Um, this next scene made me really angry. Every, t- well, every time I watched this film, it made me really angry. Um, when Holly, Betsy and Izzy are all sitting down for dinner. They're having, like, mackerel, potato and peas. And Holly's very insistent that, Betsy eats something. People did not want to eat for various reasons. Um, I like in the scene that Izzy is trying to stick up for her sister and just being like, you know, she's been poked and prodded at the doctors today. Like maybe she just doesn't want to eat. But Holly is trying to force Betsy to eat. I I never had an eating disorder, but I don't know, just like being a person with compassion and empathy in the world, I just don't feel like trying to make someone who doesn't want to eat, eat is a good idea yeah um this this yeah this scene makes me so uncomfortable also I it's funny I find the the cinematography of the food beautiful but like mm. it's it all seems so unappetizing <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I mean like you said it's it's like micro greens and stuff it's not even like yeah, let's stir up an appetite. Um, but it's interesting watching this um, because I can sort of see it from both sides um, where, yeah, like on the one hand, you cannot um, help a person um, with an eating disorder just by sort of telling them to snap out of it. 
Um, but this is kind of where you really sort start to see Polly's meanness come out. Um, like when Izzy says, like, I think she's just not hungry. Like she is nasty to her. She's sarcastic. And it, it is so, um, I remember just being really struck by that because it's, um, you know, uh, it, it was so unkind. And then even the way she's trying to um, convince Betsy to eat is so condescending. Like, and the, she literally, she takes her plate she scrapes it all off but five peas like like these aren't gonna hurt you and then she even like she takes the rest of them away and just like the sound of the knife scraping against the plate um and it, it's just such a tense scene and you, um even uh betsy like sort of like worrying at her necklace um and at that point it's like we don't even know um is this an eating disorder yet? Like she's still saying, like, I don't feel good. It's, but she's just, Tali is so insistent. Um, and um, yeah, it is like really difficult to watch. And then on the other hand, like I, I do know from like being on the other side of it now that like being the parent, there is like rage that comes up because it's just like you want to shake the person that's not going to fix them but there is like a lot of anger and resentment um that comes into, into it too i imagine with like watching someone you love like seemingly deliberately making this um choice to hurt themselves yeah uh it's, like it is a hard one because like you say yeah you can see it from both sides but I'm just, I do just get annoyed at Holly. I'm like, why, why are you doing that? It's, I was thinking about it as well. The first time I watched this film, I was thinking about my friend's sister who for like her last year of high school had a lot of issues with food, um, like keeping stuff down, feeling very sick from food. It turns out she's just got a whole bunch of intolerances. So she's just had to like have an elimination diet like no dairy no gluten all those kind of things and it was really tough on the family trying to figure out what was wrong with her for that year because she just felt so nauseous all the time couldn't keep anything down her mum was just feeding her giant bowls of rice to be like have some kind of nutrient but yeah it's it's really tricky when that kind of thing happens because they just had no idea what was wrong with her stomach for the longest time, obviously, until they did. Um, but, yeah, her mum wasn't, like, shouting at her or anything. And I feel like as well, watching this scene, obviously, she eats the solitary pea in the end. And then immediately Holly's like, okay, so you can eat and starts, like, pouring stuff on and it's like, I'm not even Betsy. I'm not even there. This isn't even happening to me. And I felt overwhelmed when she was pouring the peas back onto the plate. And like, it's like, this is not like a battle of wills, Holly. Like, you've not won. And I feel like that, like, this was like her victory lap, like pouring the peas back on. I'm like, you've, you've not won. Okay. Like, there was no need for that. Yeah. She looks, it's, she looks so relieved. Yeah. To- She's like, oh, this problem is I've I've fixed this problem. Like we're we're good now. Um yeah, it's like and then not, not so much. 
Yeah, and then Betsy starts to choke um, as he has to phone an ambulance. Um, they later go to the hospital for an MRI and the, the doctors are just like, hand her a list of psychiatrists because they're like, can't see anything like physically wrong with her. Um, which again, like if you're a mum must be a worry because it's like, Betsy's complaining of having a lack of appetite and feeling nauseous. So she's saying it's a physical thing and then the doctors are like, there's nothing wrong physically with your child. Like, it's a mental thing and that must be really frustrating as a parent. Um, So we were saying before about her kind of telling the doctor a little fib. Um, Holly folds a boat into Betsy's toilet paper. I think we already know that Holly's a bit like pedantic. She folds this little bowl into the toilet paper in Betsy's bathroom. They're very fancy. They all have their own bathroom. Um, and we later find that Holly will go back to this and see that it's been untouched. And that's how we know that Betsy's been lying about her toileting habits. That It just speaks so much about Holly to think like just to do this like these redundant chores and then to go the extra step of just putting a bow around it I didn't even know that was something people did <laughs> like to me I was just like that seems like 30 seconds or less wasted <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I love the visual though definitely um so Betsy's boyfriend comes over uh, obviously to see Betsy uh, that's when Holly notices that she's not used her toilet paper and um, you know Betsy's like saying to Dom can I tell you a secret and then all of a sudden he just takes off and you know it's really sudden out of nowhere um, what did you think could have possibly happened between them for him to have just taken off so suddenly I really I think I was really I was kind of stumped at this moment because you really are like what could she have possibly said to him not just to make him leave but to sort of make him like rush out like that without even saying uh really even saying anything to the mom who it seems like they have a good relationship with um but I think that's sort of where like the fear kind of comes into the movie because you're just kind of imagining like what like he seems like a good guy it's like what could she have said to make him kind of bolt all of a sudden um I don't know did you have thoughts about what it could have been uh, like I was really like racking my brain because at this point as well I'm you know, the first time I watched it you're, I'm still not entirely sure if she's got an eating disorder or not so I was like is he, like, has she maybe told him that she's not eating or something and he's just not known how to process it? Cause, you know, like, teenagers, like, can't always process things or they don't have knowledge of things sometimes and it's just easier to walk away than kind of ask the question. Um, so I wasn't sure if it was maybe that. Um, yeah, but it was quite shocking because, like you say, he seems to have a really good relationship with the mum as well. So the fact that he'd never even said anything to Holly and he just took off like he he must have been really freaked out yeah so 
Betsy starts clearing out some of her clothes. She's like, oh, I'm going to give these to Izzy. Um, and then Holly refers to her as her... I wrote this down. As her special girl. And unbeknownst to her, Izzy's there and has heard it. This really like broke my heart a little bit. Um, my my mum was like really open about who her favourite was when we were growing up. And she's like, oh, your your brother's my favourite. Like that's it. Uh, there's no ifs or buts about it. And it sucks. It fucking sucks like being told that, you know, like you're tiered as children. And it's like that's like that's not okay. So I really felt for Izzy there because there's just no reason for it. Yeah, I feel terrible for Izzy like this entire movie because um she really just she really just gets the short end of the stick with um everything that goes on and she seems to have a good head on her shoulders where she can just sort of disappear into her own world but um yeah it's clearly like the mom it just Betsy becomes her sole focus at some point yeah yeah for sure and um yeah I think like in the next scene it's kind of kind of made worse as well because in the next scene when Izzy's like claiming not to be or just saying like I actually don't really feel hungry I don't want like a full meal and Betsy tries to defend her Holly doesn't want them I feel like to be a united front like which I think she wants to keep them apart and have them as singular entities for her to kind of control and I feel really bad being like Holly's controlling because I don't think she's like a bad person but I just think that's kind of how she manages her life like she's maybe a bit anxiety um I feel like anybody I know who's a bit anxiety is also a slight control freak but it's just how they manage their mental health I guess by having some kind of control over everything makes them feel a little bit better and Holly's a bit like that as well so I feel like she likes to keep the girls apart a little bit so that she has more control over them yeah I agree. And then I also felt throughout this film that she really doesn't want Betsy influencing um, Izzy. And I mean, I even had that fear throughout the movie because they're so opposite. And um, Izzy seems to have a really good relationship with, like a healthy relationship with food. Like one of the earliest scenes, you literally see her like just run to the fridge because she is hungry. And then she just like rips into a, like a drumstick and um and that like that kind of just stri- struck me as like sort of like that innocent still because I think it was probably in like middle school when all of a sudden I became like aware of my body and then it was like you know what like I I don't like this and then all of a sudden you start looking at food differently I mean this was my um experience anyway so and I know how um impressionable people are when they're young and especially because it's like it's her sister that she looks up to um so I also just saw this as her like not wanting to corrupt uh this sister with these ideas um yeah I get it's one of those things again you can see both both sides of it because 
Yeah, I got a bit upset that she was trying. I felt feel like trying to like pit the girls against each other a little bit, but yeah, at the same time, you can see that you don't. She doesn't want this to become a trend in the house. Um, one of the things here, I feel like Holly's a bit vindictive here as well, because Izzy's just like, oh, I don't really feel hungry, and like you said uh, before, like Izzy seems to have quite a good relationship with food. Like if she's hungry, she eats. You know, she's an athlete, so she, like she needs to eat. Um, and Holly's like, oh, is this because I took your allowance away? And Izzy's just right back, like, what twelve pounds? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not bothered. <laughs> I just don't want my dinner. Um, yeah, and it ends up being this like tit for tat thing. And then when Betsy gets involved, another thing that made me really angry, Holly's like, right, you're going to get weighed twice a day then. And it's like the same thing with the food. I'm like, I don't, you know, I've never been in this situation, but I just, I don't feel like this is a good idea of weighing somebody twice a day that you think has got issues with their weight slash food. Yeah, this also fills me with so much rage because you think you're doing the right thing, like monitoring, but all you're doing is actually you're feeding the obsession. Yeah. We have like lists of numbers and we're making it about numbers. And also, um, uh, like I had, I just had this feeling is like, I remember the first time I was like caught by a parent and I just felt like I was in trouble. I felt like I was being punished so like any even if it's like now I know it's like okay they were like trying to help but it's like you, um it's infuriating because like you it's like I remember feeling like you know kind of like a similar thing where it's like well if you don't do this then we're gonna like take away some privilege and um and I think that's that's sort of like where it, it's almost becomes like this war between them when she's sort of like that's it um and uh oh god I just I just like fucking hate scales too and it's like one of those like old-fashioned ones with like the yeah I don't even know I was I don't even understand how how it works but um yeah just the the notebook too and um yeah Definitely. That also made me angry. Um, yeah, it's like interesting seeing the book with like dozens of entries and they're all the same. And this is where I think maybe this film is kind of about that relationship between like a, a child on the cusp of leaving home on the cusp of adulthood and the mother. And because Betsy's doing all these things and we find out later on that she like had a path and a plan and she knew exactly what was going to happen and she's made all these decisions and she's like everything's going to be fine and everything was kind of fine like everything happened the way it was supposed to but holly's so like no i'm your mother like i'm the boss like i need to be in control of this and it's kind of holly that spirals and not betsy yeah um and she doesn't make I mean, you see it more so later, but at this point, she's not asking anyone else for help, nor she's accepting it. She just decides, like, okay, like, I I have to take care of this is what we're going to do. And her solution is just to 
monitor her weight. And then I think it's like a slap in the face when it's like, okay, like you want to monitor her weight. And then as far as the numbers show, um, you know, it's showing that like, she's still at a healthy weight, like she's not actually losing weight, which I think that's the part in the movie where I started asking myself, um, is this something supernatural going on? Is it something spiritual? Um, because, um, like, you know, I've heard of these stories of like people refusing to eat and like, I don't, like, I don't need to eat. I mean, I actually saw, um, a film recently. It was a adaptation. I think it's called the wonder, um, by Emma Donahue. And it's like a similar thing where like, it's this big, and this is like in the, uh, I think it's like the 1800s or something, but they're like, we need you to figure out if this is like some kind of like miracle. Like, is this child like a miracle? Like she says, she doesn't need to eat. Um, so like with the numbers, like, yeah, I think that's when sort of like the mystery of the film where it's like, what is actually happening here? Like, does she have an eating disorder? Is she like chosen? Like what is going on? Um, very interesting. So I think when June comes to visit, we're thrown another kind of curveball, like on a first watch as to what this situation might be. So as soon as June comes in, she goes straight to check on Betsy. And then they, like, rehash the story about Betsy from her childhood in which June recalls Betsy practising this speech that she was going to give to her grandparents in the garden about a monster being under the bed and that she absolutely has to sleep in their bed. But because June saw her do this, she was like, nope, and took her back to her bed and stayed there until she fell asleep. And But the grandpa fell for a hook, line and sinker. And she comments that that performance was admirable, but implies that she should uh, cease the current show as she refers to it. Um, so it kind of sows some seeds of doubt to the audience as to, what is really going on right now mm-hmm. yeah and I think like it also she's very it's like I was like I wonder how much the grandmother likes Betsy because from that story like I also got like you've always been a little manipulator um you know I don't think she trusts her um and I think you can also sort of like she's the one that kind of um is there for busy it's kind of like you also have another daughter um and I think she just immediately recognizes that something really um unhealthy is going on like between Holly and Betsy yeah I I feel like June shows up and immediately sees what's happening and I I just I get that um that anger from her right I just think she's like a bullshit detector (laughs) and I think she's just sort of like no this is just a performance and you have to stop um feeding into it um like I don't think she buys for a second that something is really wrong uh, with Betsy 
yeah yeah I very much get that impression as well um because she is kind of right to kind of come in and step in as well because in a similar way that like Holly was a bit clinical and obsessive about her husband and her sickness she becomes like that with Betsy as well and you know Izzy is what like 14 or 15 here like she needs a mum like she needs someone to look after her and take an interest in her because in that previous scene where Izzy's like oh well I'm not hungry like she's talking about school and nobody's listening to her and it's like that's not fair um and I'm sure that happens to a lot of kids who have someone like another sibling who's like really sick and needs a lot of attention like they end up suffering because of it and you know it's not it's not really anybody's fault but it's just it's really unfortunate and it's and it's not fair it's not yeah so Betsy and Holly visit this mental health facility that she's considering putting Betsy in and like immediately Holly's like oh I can come and go as I please and I can like take her on holiday and stuff can't I and they're like no like this is like a program that she has to be here for like a significant amount of time and before they're even finished looking around like I feel like Holly's back is up like she's not happy that she can't just like do as she pleases with her daughter because it's a control thing like she doesn't want to give up full control to these people even though they're there to help her and I feel like the walk around in which there's like an incident between one of the patients and someone who works there and she kind of blames it on that even though it's not a nice incident to see she's like no I'm not putting my daughter here after seeing that but I feel like she made up her mind as soon as she was told she couldn't have free reign over Betsy yeah I think it also just it just speaks to um you know that question like oh like we can like go for out for like holidays and stuff it's it's almost like you know, I, I also feel bad for her, but it's also like, what do you think this is? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, this is, um, like this, if this is what it looks like, which is like that her daughter has anorexia, it's like, this is a disease. She has to be in the hospital. It's like, you don't take them out for, you know, this is a program. Um, and I don't think she quite wants to admit that, um, I'm not even, it's interesting because I was like, part of me was wondering watching it um, before that patient shows up, whereas like, would Betsy go willingly? Mm. I mean, because there's still like, I feel like this movie is a constant back and forth of uh, sort of like playing with you to be like, oh, it's it's real. It's not real. Like, um, and I'm just like, would, I, I just like wondered, it's like, would Betsy uh, willingly go, like, to sort of, like, escape from her mother? Like, she does, I don't know, that, that, uh, Jessica Alexander, I believe her name is. Like, there's a lot of, like, fiddling with the hair and the necklace, and she just looks, like, constantly uncomfortable. Um, Yeah, interesting to me. So after this... Betsy takes her mum to the woods where it all happens and kind of talks about what she was going through while this was happening. So 
you know, she'd been to the guidance counselor before. So she's like, I was I was thinking a lot about the future and she was finding it really difficult to imagine, which totally understandable, like 17, 18, and you're expected to have your whole life mapped out in front of you when you leave school. It's so unrealistic. Um and she just felt like something was calling her to the woods. And in that scene, we do hear a lot of whispering. Um and something called her to the woods and showed her the future and she said it's just darkness for everyone um and that she's been chosen to kind of show other people this um so it's like it's quite a bleak future but i think when you see the state of the world and even if you just look at like climate change and all the kind of horrible forecasts that we have for the earth for that i mean Gen Z, Gen Alpha, it doesn't look like we're leaving them a nice world behind, really. Um, so it's not out of the realms of possibility. They have this back and forth, like, Holly's like, you're unwell. Betsy says, like, this is a blessing that's been given to her. Um, Holly says she's scared about all the changes. And I think even without this supernatural thing, Holly is scared of change um, so that's very true to her character um, Holly threatens to section Betsy, Betsy threatens to kill herself um, Holly slaps her and Betsy just asks for Holly's trust, she's like please trust me, I know my path in life um, what do you think about this exchange between the two of them? Yeah I mean you were saying where This idea of her saying, like, I've seen the future, it's not good, but there's this calmness in Betsy. And it it just makes me think of um, people who have accepted their fate, where it's like they've already gone past the fear and they've come into this place of acceptance. Um, it actually made me think of another film. It made me think of Melancholia. <laughs> By the end, um, we've got these sisters and one is kind of accepted like the end is coming another one like can't deal with it um but uh you know it's almost like i mean it's it's interesting that this is a moment where holly is like oh shit you are mentally ill like i didn't see it before but like this is the point where she's like oh god like you're actually not well you know it's like not the other stuff it's when she starts alluding to um the end of the world and maybe like it almost sounds like sort of like possible like religion spewing um or i don't know if that's there that's just me like projecting <laughs> into it like sort of like don't be afraid like it's gonna be okay um and uh what's i gonna say um yeah, and I think Holly is terrified. And at this point, I think Betsy represents, um, like, Betsy's going to handle it. Like, we can, like, trust Betsy. And it's like, it must be so tempting to just want to believe her that it's all going to be okay. All of this stuff is happening for a reason. Um, because, like, I think this is sort of when it flips over to, like, her almost 
becoming Betsy's servant and just sort of like as if she's some kind of idol and just sort of um, accepting what it is Betsy needs to do to um, get to the other side of whatever like this event she's alluding to, which like could be the end of the, the world, something, um, something not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um um yeah so we fast forward six months uh we're back at the ice rink um izzy's figure skating with her teacher and holly's trying to withdraw the last of her funds so it's been alluded to throughout the film about um, the money problems that the family's having, June says over and over again that she'll fund whatever um, but Holly's not having it um, it's quite sad this part because I think Izzy's like I'm sick of being at this ice rink and my mum's not paying attention to me so she says after this that she's not going back which is a real shame because she's very talented so we also find out more about Betsy's condition at this point and she goes through dormant phases where she's just lying in bed and dormant, I guess, um, not really saying or doing anything. Um, Holly won't leave her alone unless she's in one of these states. Um, June is trying to convince Holly to send Betsy away to a facility but Holly's like, no, it's fine. The GP checks on her once a week. So I, it's like, it's, a, it's an interesting situation that we find ourselves at with these four women now. Um, because it seems worse than ever. But oddly enough, Holly's like, no, it's fine. Like, the GP checks on her, it's okay. I don't know if she's resigned to the fact that there's nothing modern medicine can really do for her. I don't know if she's like believing Betsy when she says everything's gonna be okay. Yeah. Um it makes me think about what she's been through, what she must have gone through with her husband. And it's like, is is this like a hospice situation? Like, you know, you wonder like it's almost well, <laughs> you know, you're right. It's like she's definitely gotten worse. Like like the fact it's like okay well on the one hand she's not losing weight she's still alive on any other person that would mean that they're you know like they're dead at this point if they're not eating um and just the way she explains it to um june like oh she just goes through these periods and it's like horrifying when we when we see her it's very scary she's like frozen um and she's just sort of accepted that this is normal um and which is why i i mean i actually questioned if like they actually had a doctor coming in uh to check because i'm like what a doctor uh i don't know i'm like at what point if they brought in outside people would they say like like can't I mean I don't know how it works because is I don't know if Betsy is 18 illegally legally an adult um there <laughs> yeah like, like 18 would be legally a, an adult in the UK 
But yeah, if she was under, I don't, in the US, I guess it would be CPS, but over here it's social services. And like, yeah, at what point would the doctor just be like, actually, we need to phone social services about this because there's something not right. Like that's, like, that's the piece where like, again, I kept was like, is this a performance or is this because it's like, okay, we're going into like fallow states like that seems like it made me think of like aliens like you know when it's like oh they're just a husk and like it's you like waiting for them to sort of be like reanimated it's um it's so uh creepy yeah um so there's this next scene where june starts to talk about this japanese folk tale and i don't like and have i've watched this film three times now and i'm just like i don't know if this part's just filler or what but june talks about this japanese folk tale that she was told about when she lived there like many years ago um and there's a lot of similarities to betsy's condition and the tale suggests that the one who does not eat is still consuming and what Betsy is consuming is the family and it like June suggests that Betsy's possessed the family because it does make some points because all of the family's energy is focused on Betsy right now and she's like her condition is kind of draining the life out of it like you know Holly is not the person she was at the start of the film Izzy is growing more and more frustrated and resentful, uh, which is totally understandable. Um, but I feel like that I don't I don't know if this kind of you know everything in a film has a point, and I don't know if this actually leads anywhere. This point, I agree. I feel like it it kind of throws a wrench in <laughs> in the plot line. I think. Um everything that that story suggests I think we're already getting from from what's happening and it did kind of I mean that's kind of one of my biggest pet peeve in horror films when all of a sudden it's like I did a google search and actually it's (laughs) um whatever um and I mean it does set up for like a really disgustingly gorgeous scene like shortly after where we like see um this creature I do I mean I do enjoy um (laughs) I do enjoy the creature and the idea of it I actually I remember reading a short story I think that was like depicting that where it's like someone had or you know what maybe (laughs) Uh, I don't want to spoil it on here for people that haven't seen it but that makes me think of another horror movie that came out in like the last year or so but it was like <laughs> something going on in the back of someone's head yes yeah oh I forgot I forgot about that yeah I never thought about that <laughs> yeah I mean yeah it was it's kind of like we're already sort of weighing on like is it this or is it this the whole like not eating and then that's a whole like well whether it's like metaphorical or not, it's the idea of like this creature has like a hidden mouth um, and like it looks like they're not consuming, but actually they are. Um, And then we see like, I mean, you 
you realize it's a dream sequence, but I just was like, that looks just so gross. To yeah. Film. Like I. Ugh. Yeah. Just like, just looks like dumpster. Dumpster food being shoveled and like the teeth and the noises. Um, I actually funnily like I just I I mean not funny I have a thing with teeth. Oh. <laughs> it moves, like even the first the first scene with Izzy at the dentist when you see her teeth I'm just like ah like <laughs> <laughs> like I can't with teeth in movies one of the few things um I've actually like walked I've actually stopped watching a movie once because I was like there's there's too much going on with teeth at this moment <laughs> and yeah there's there's a toothy thing coming up after after this so Betsy wakes up she gives her sister a bloody nose she's like darting around all over the place starts staring at the ceiling but I think what's important here is that June actually gets Izzy on her own and Izzy gives her the full tea about what has been happening the last six months which she was never going to go with Holly in the first place Again, we find out more about the family's money troubles, Izzy's at the dentist, and she's being like denied orthodontic care because they can't afford it. Um, which shows you how bad it's got that they can't even afford the dentist. Like in the UK, it's normally like less than 20 quid a month you could pay for a private dentist. Um, and they're they're not even being able to afford that. So things are really bad for them financially. Um, while they've been out, June has been left with Betsy. But when they come home, um, Betsy's choking herself, and like June, like Holly goes mental because June's not been watching her like she was supposed to. Um, yeah. What do you What do you think about this? This scene, I I have to say, like I I don't really get it um like I really struggled with it um I feel like there's a lot of like filler in the second half and now that I've just kind of said that out loud I'm like this is just filler we know that this family is not in a good financial situation why would Betsy be trying to kill herself because she's got a mission and yeah it's just a bit weird and also it starts making you think um is she possessed? Is something possessing her to do that is like, you know, it's sort of like that constant, is it supernatural? Is it spiritual? Is she just manipulating everyone? Um, And I I just don't understand where this comes from, unless like you're saying it's some sort of like, she has like a moment of remorse or or guilt. but then, I mean, I feel like I was led, I think maybe the first time I watched it was like, oh, she's being possessed by some supernatural entity that's like trying to kill her. So I feel like it it created like just more questions. Um, and uh, yeah, not my favorite moment. No. So the four of them all sit together in the living room and... Betsy kind of talks more about what she can see so she kind of talks about how she could see stars and this beautiful light and her purpose in life 
Um, and June asks her like what her intentions are, but she kind of gives a very vague answer and says it'll all be over soon and that there's still hope. And she also relays a message from her father that's recently passed away and then she kind of like goes to sleep. Um, but at this point, June's still like, when she gets Holly on her own, she's like, this is this is an act and I think both of you need like mental health support. Mm-hmm. Um, but Holly's got really consistent like fears about putting Betsy in a facility and it turns out it's because Holly was committed at one point in her life to a facility and June is kind of like still stands by it. She's like, I thought it was the best thing for you at the time. But Holly's like clearly traumatized from this experience. Um yeah, which begs the question, why was she going around a facility earlier? I don't know if this was like an afterthought or what. Because it would be there is clearly tension between Holly and June, and it would be interesting to know more about that to show that it goes across generations because there's you know, Holly's a bit of a control freak with her children and this thing with Betsy's creating tension. Um, So it'd be interesting to know more about that and how, you know, people heal, try and heal generational wounds by painting their children differently. But again, this feels like something that was kind of shoehorned in. Yeah, I I feel like it's a really interesting revelation. I, I do see how... And it does sort of make everything, all of her behavior add up, but then it had me, it made me want to know more because it it wasn't like, it's not quite like, oh, when you were her age and you refused eating, like, it's not like that close, but um, because like, I think that was my first thought when I was like, is this some sort of shared mental illness that they, they both have that's only now been brought up um that mean that's the other thing it's like a little late that the june is sort of like well you know that it, it's come up at this point um yeah but when it comes i mean like mental illness and like eating disorders are um like a mental illness i think maybe it's just it's just trying to show that it is generational and it's something that um is sort of inherited both I think just by like people being influenced by their family members I mean there's even like science that suggests like it might be like genetic I mean the disposition for like addictive behavior um so I do remember being very sort of like oh like (laughs) like getting that little bit of information but um yeah I don't know like I I think um it is sort of like the last third of this film where I start to sort of feel a little um dissatisfied but Mm. yeah for sure I think yeah we'll get into it Yeah, so it's at this point as well that Jude's offers to take in Izzy. I think Holly turns her down at this point, but later on, 
that kind of changes. Um, so we go into this dream sequence, which you kind of mentioned before. Um, Holly's brushing her teeth and she hears some strange noises from Betsy's room. And Betsy's just like gr- growling and she just looks absolutely feral, um, like hunched over all this like rotting food. And she's just like grabbing it and it just looks like she's rubbing it into the back of her head. But the kind of like closer and closer you get, there's an actual like mouth there. And this is like very reminiscent of the folktale that June told earlier. This scene is foul, like absolutely foul. It's also, I mean, not to like get into more detail, but it's like the food, but then there's like, like saliva and spittle like it's very quick that that um image where you realize it's a mouth it it comes like very fast um so so nasty it makes me think of people i don't have this um i don't think i have this with people that have um i was driving by um misophonia Hmm. i think it's called and like i know people that um, like they can't even be in a room with someone who's eating because the sound of chewing um, just like completely sets them off. And, and this scene is just like visually and on the like on the sound spectrum, it's just like really nasty. <laughs> yeah. So in this next scene, I think we start to see more of how all of this is affecting Izzy and she ends up at a party which I mean we've not been told otherwise but it feels like a slightly unusual behavior for Izzy to go to a party Um, you know she's drinking she's getting high Um, she finds herself alone in a room with a boy called Caleb and you know it's very much the assumption that they're gonna have sex Um, you know there's clothes and stuff coming off and it's all very flirty but then Dom walks in um as his former boy not as his Betsy's former boyfriend uh and he's just like no like I'm taking you home and she comes home she's sick in front of the house in full view of her mother we've all been there and um once Izzy's been put to bed Holly says to Dom, please tell me what happened because at this point we still don't know what happened between Dom and Betsy for him to run off and uh, she told him that she wasn't eating and that she didn't want to that she wasn't going back to school and that Holly is the first star and she must be prepared so is this kind of like part of the film that kind of loses me a little bit um I don't know like in terms of like being a solar system in terms of like the solar system obviously the sun is what gives the like the earth life and if we didn't have the sun the earth wouldn't exist so the idea of like comparing your mum to the sun slash a star I guess this kind of makes sense they are kind of like the life giver the life bringer in the family but I just, I don't really feel like they do anything with it. Yeah, there's a, a lot of moments in the last part of the film where uh, Betsy starts talking almost as if she's a prophet. Like, 
literally like like her eyes are like shining she just look has that look i i feel um and it doesn't quite add up but um what i do think is interesting though just like what leads up to this with izzy is that her experience is almost identical to um to betsy's at the beginning of the film with the party like all except for like her going out into the woods and like seeing something um but it's all it almost feels like this kind of like rite of passage um it made me wonder if uh if anything if, if betsy knew her mother was the only person that had the power to intervene and stop her so maybe it's like I need you to be strong for me. I need you to let me do what I need to do. Um, but, but that is also just me. Like, I feel like struggling to make sense, um, make sense of it. And this whole idea that like Betsy is, has been chosen for this and her mom has been chosen for this. Um, because there is this, like you said, there's like this contradiction of like, everything's going to be, on the one hand, they're like, it's, I've seen what happened and it's dark. And then, but then it's also like, everything is going to be all right. And I've seen it and it's beautiful. Um, so yeah, I, I too, um, I struggle with, and I, I feel like that from what I was able to see online, like that was like a common critique, just sort of like, uh, a little too ambiguous of like what exactly was going on. Yeah, because a little ambiguity in a film's not a bad thing, but I'm still I'm struggling to even draw a conclusion, an opinion about what it could all mean, and I think that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, do you do that thing with movies like this, like horror movies, where you just like Google a banquet ending explained? <laughs> yeah. it. and um. It, it just kind of was like a literal play-by-play play of the last 15 minutes. And actually, like, one thing that I had missed, I didn't quite understand it when I first watched it, was the bit with the scale. Um, I didn't, I think, like, because I don't quite understand old-fashioned scales, so, like, I didn't quite understand what that was. And then it was, like, she discovers that Betsy's been manipulating the scale, so, like, in fact, she probably has been losing weight this whole time um which is horrifying but also like it still doesn't um even like interpretations of like what happened um like I did go like a little deep on reddit and like I feel like people were like kind of frustrated as well (laughs) I mean like if we take it as this as a girl that's died as a result of anorexia like what do you think the excruciating pain she was going through in the night could have been I know like some people will die of like in the throes of anorexia will die of heart attacks but that's not something that lasts hours and hours at least I don't think it is anyway like I know like I don't know if this is a real thing but like hunger pangs are painful I mean I think you people without an eating disorder like it can be physically painful but that like that scene uh i mean it, it's it sounds more like child labor pains mm. which 
my um yeah I, I think I wanted a little bit more like not to like help me out but just to sort of be like like where where are we at this point um and honestly like by the end of this film I'm more frustrated with Betsy than I am with Holly um and uh I don't know if that's intentional or maybe that just says something about me but I I think um you know it's just uh not that it's a bad thing it's good to get uh riled up and emotional over a film uh, or maybe it's just me wanting like me wanting more from her it's like yeah. well, we're gonna if you were insisting that we have to go through this like give me give me something more um instead of her just saying like you have to trust me yeah um uh yeah and I don't know if like we I mean I don't know if Holly knows or if they know like that she's insinuating like I'm going to die I mean it's almost like is that like what else could possibly happen at this point like I don't know what Holly is expecting which is the other thing that's that I found kind of infuriating where it's sort of like well what did you think um how did you think this was going to end? Like when she finally discovers that Betsy has passed away, um, like just only moments ago, it seems like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel like we could debate this ending for hours. Because it's just... Yeah, there's like so much, but also kind of at the same time, nothing. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into box office and ratings. Um, so a banquet did the festival circuit and then found uh, a happy home on Shudder. So it's not got like a massive, like box office intake. It made forty three point three k. Couldn't find any budget information. Um, I imagine it was quite low budget, but still it's like a well-made film as much as I have my criticisms of it um in terms of ratings as you can imagine when we've discussed that it's kind it's a bit of a controversial ending like ambiguous ending um it's not rated massively highly it's got a 4.8 out of 10 on IMDb it's got a 57 percent from the Rotten Tomatoes critics and a 32% from the Rotten Tomatoes audience, and a 59% from Metacritic. But as they say on Girlfriends, I'm not particularly bothered about what they think. I want to know what you think, Jan. So what would you rate a banquet out of 10? Well, having watched it, and in fact having watched it three times now, I think um, I still there there are parts of this I still enjoy the motions of watching this movie because it does for me personally so many little subgenre things I love like body horror sister stuff 
teen things with teens like i will watch like uh anything like that um like you said i think it's a really well made film i think it's i think it's beautifully made i particularly love um sienna guillory's performance in this i think it's really heartbreaking um i'd say it's definitely worth watching um it's very it's a very strange um horror film um i think that i would imagine a lot of other people would be frustrated by it um i just i think it's very interesting because like i don't see a lot of horror um that depicts eating disorders and that's kind of like what struck me about it and i do think that there are a lot of really great um allegories um but yeah definitely there's like a lot going on in there and by by the end it's a little like i said dissatisfying um it's honest it's not something i would probably recommend offhand and like had i not uh chosen uh like food feast horror or whatever the the topic was i like it's not a film i think would come to mind really so i think it is kind of like one of those obscure watches like i think i first saw it on shutter and i watched it just now um again um i believe it's on hulu right now so maybe like people are discovering it again or discovering it for the first time um uh, what are your thoughts um for me like i feel like it's a five out of ten film because there are those good aspects to it like you said like it's shot beautifully and I think the performances are really good I think the writing is kind of a letdown they try and throw in a few curveballs like late in the second act and in the third act and they just don't work for me um because I feel like in the first half they set up all these little things that could have made it like a great horror film and it's just a kind of like below average one now um kind of exploding familial relationships kind of coming of age um in this kind of microcosm of this family unit could have been something so interesting um if handled a little bit differently so yeah, I just like some bits of it I love and some bits of it I just like it's just not for me. And I think the ending's a big letdown as well. Yeah, I think five out of ten would probably be my rating as well. Some of my favorite horror movies have like all the same elements. It has like all of the makings of something that I, I feel like I, I really want to like. Um and yeah, definitely if someone is a true completist horror fan, especially like if they love like kind of coming of age, um, but it does kind of the glue doesn't quite hold um all the parts. Yeah. It's also like I don't know, a lot of horror movies I I walk away from either feeling kind of like uh kind of excited or disturbed and this one just kind of it's just uh it just it just feels bad 
Like I get like neither of those, like, Ooh, that was like kind of disturbing and exciting or like, Ooh, this was like really freaky and exciting. Like this is also, this was just like pretty bleak all the way around. Not that that's a bad thing. Um, but yeah. So I don't know. So that, well, that sounds like anyway, the end of the spooky sleepover and our chat about the banquet. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Jan, again. And uh, yeah, bringing this kind of obscure film. It's like, it's one of those films that you say, I don't think I would have watched it unless it was for the podcast. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those ones, like, it's not something I'd be like, oh, don't watch it. Like, even though, like, I don't have wholly positive feelings about it but it's interesting like I think if you like films about familial relationships or you know you find comfort in films that kind of reference ED if that's something that is you've experienced in life I think it'd be a good film to watch for those aspects but yeah it's it's been an interesting one yeah I mean I looked up the director um well the director it looks like they have like another horror film in the books and oh, right. um, I'd be interested to see um, if horror is what they decide to stick with. Um, I would be curious to see because um, it seems like this was their first feature. Yes. Um, so yeah, I'm, <laughs> it's like, they've got my interest. I'm intrigued. <laughs> That's hey. good. Jan, where can our lovely listeners find you online? Um, you can find me at my website, janrosenberg.com. And I'm also on Instagram where my handle is emotional support snack. Um, <laughs> <I> like <laughs> food things. Um, but yeah, I'm also on Twitter at kickthejan. Um, I'm still on Twitter because horror people are still on there and I still find it occasionally entertaining <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've not jumped ship quite yet I'm just like when everyone went to what was it Hive I was like you guys test it out for me and then I'll and then I'll come along yeah. um, but it didn't seem to last very long did it yeah the horror people are still like even today I was like asking for recommendations and like you know our community always shows up definitely so you can find me on social media at Hyatt's Lindsay underscore um on all social media um you can find the podcast at girlfriend pod on twitter and girlfriends underscore podcast on instagram we'll be back next week with a review of scream 2 uh, which is very exciting to get back into the scream franchise um, but until then, stay spooky.